and welcome to the HBM podcast. I am a Jedi who has forgotten that he's ideological state apparatus and also a repressive state apparatus. And I'm joined by Frank. Frank, how are you doing? Hello, Leon. I'm doing well. I like to think of myself as a an outsider who's really annoyed by everything that's going on. It's quite lost and then it's pretty pissed off and everyone turns on them. Hello. That's uh that's some mighty foreshadowing you're doing there, uh, Frank. That's, hey. Uh... <laughs> so, as we ended the previous episode, which we are going to release in bulk, or together, I would say. Yeah. We didn't manage to, uh, or we didn't deem it wise to uh, put them in one big episode. So, this is part two to the Coder 1 and 2 podcast or episodes i mean so uh yeah didn't didn't know what we were thinking uh gonna be <laughs> honest was quite an ostentatious bit of hubris on our part it was so uh so yeah i'm telling you guys this because uh normally i don't like to tell anybody what to do <laughs> but it's going to be very confusing if you don't listen to the first part so these episodes are around Coder 1 and 2, which stands for Knights of the Old Republic 2, which are two Star Wars video games. Action-adventure RPGs, for those who are curious about that. That's what I would classify them as, at least. One a little bit more action-adventure and the other a little bit more RPG, but we will get into that in, mm -hmm. momentarily. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we talk about Joseph Campbell's A Hero with a Thousand Faces, I believe. Yes, that's that's our, our main point on the last episode. Yes, hence why I would humbly direct anyone who clicked on this episode first, who just wanted to hear about Coder 2, maybe, um, <laughs> to the first one regardless, because we do talk about both a little bit, more so about the first one, but we also talk about two a little bit in the first episode. Yeah. So to get like, the whole idea, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go <laughs> and listen to that one first, because I'm not going to explain Joseph Campbell again. Yeah, no, no one needs that, unfortunately. Right, and I do think explaining is a bit too uh, ostentatious of me. I don't think I do a great job explaining that work. Oh, you do. And at the risk... Oh, thank you. But at the risk of sounding flippant, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> it is... Uh, it is, well... It's not quite repulsive, but, um, well, it is what you would expect for a book that tries to horrendously smash different cultures together into what is called the monomyth. I, I don't like it. I, a oh, small correction, I believe I said it was released in 1945. Mm. And that's not true. It's released in 1949. Oh, one of those small things that bothers me when I lie about that <laughs> or give misinformation about that, even though everybody can just easily Google it, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a good, uh, it's good manners to point out that yeah, I made a small mistake. <laughs> Without further ado, I have, I've tried to be a bit more concise uh, based on the last two episodes. I do think I'm a little bit all over the place, which I don't mind because I always <laughs> love talking to Frank. Yeah, and I've even though I've received nothing but good reviews so far, uh, I do like to since I'm the one editing it, I do like to be a bit more precise with my time management and so forth and so on, and I like to introduce little segments in which 
we before we get into the good stuff, we can both, if we want to, talk about some media we are consuming right now, or something media related, or yeah. something we are excited for, to maybe create a little bit of casual casualness, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Friday, so technically this is Casual Friday Woo. <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> um, not just any Friday. It's the 21st of October. Normally, I'd, I'm not allowed to date these podcast uh, recordings, but <laughs> something very special happened on the 21st of October. Do you know what it is, Frank? Oh, I don't remember. You actually. should know. You should know. Oh, crap. That's the only hint I'll give you. Oh, I'm so nice shot, but on my specific... Wait. Really? Say uh-huh. it. It's the birthday of Ursula Le Guin. Oh my god, I didn't know. Oh god. Yeah. That doesn't reflect well upon me. <laughs> Quite the date. Well, birthdays are not that important. But um, I thought uh, you would enjoy knowing that. I do. That's really day. cool. Oh, nice day. The same year as my granddad. And... Uh, he made it in four years longer, so suck at Ursula. No, um, it's, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's, um, so yeah, I thought that was a fun little, because uh, Frank is such a uh, big Ursula Le Guin scholar that I, uh, I hope to be. always enjoy reading about when you write about Ursula Le Guin. Yeah, I, I need to read The Tombs of Atuan, which I do have. Mm. Um, maybe that'll be something I write about for November, because I... I don't know what I'm going to write for October, and I don't know what I'm going to record for November, so we'll see. So well, all Frank's writings are immaculate, as always. Oh, God. So no matter how old they are, you can go back on the left page Patreon and Yay. read them. And now you can read my writings as well. Yes. I just posted a intro to, well, what it is exactly, you can read for yourselves, but uh, it's something about politics and video games, which... Uh, Obviously, don't have anything to do with each other ever. They, you know, <laughs> totally separate things. You know, art and politics, gross. No, who who would think about such a thing? <laughs> but I do commit that act, that sincere act of sacrilege, and uh, smash them up together. It's about uh, the banality of satire in certain video games. A very famous video game. So yeah, and and you managed to have ma- uh, well, I'm gonna well, occult powers with uh, your release and your writing as we have realized yeah. this week yeah indeed uh it goes into detail about european instability and in specific the well england but w- because it is england it also drags down the other uk members yeah and uh as of uh, since we already dated this recording we can get hey. into this uh, <laughs> it's uh it's not looking good it is not looking good at, uh, across the pond for me. I can wave in their general direction. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I wish anyone on those aisles the best. Oh, and uh, yeah, as of this time, a certain race for the Conservative Party's leadership is uh, popping off. And Again? Again, yes, again. <laughs> it's unbelievable that people still want it. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. The most successful electoral party in the history of politics. Uh, the Tory party, the Conservative party yeah. of the UK. Despite a consistent series of disgraces and failures. 
Well, we will see now. Um, <laughs> we will see how this turns out because they they might have ran it into the ground. Uh, hopefully, there will be some change in momentum. Not a huge fan of reformatism, but hey, who knows? At least we get to see conservative people angry, and hey. That's always a good thing in our book. Precisely. It can never hurt. It can never hurt, I think. Mm -mm. <laughs> so, uh, is there anything else you are? Well, I'll, I'll just mention something that's on my mind. Is, uh, well, it's maybe, well, it's connected to media, but not as obvious. But it's, uh, well, I don't, I don't think I'm going to write about this yet. But maybe at some point in the future, because it's, it's a massive work. But it's uh, David Lowenthal's The Past is a Foreign Country which is a massive oh, book yeah. uh, on effectively the, a, a study of the idea of past and how past is construed and, and thought about and, and changed as thought about and, and reasoned in the present and how it is also presentified and a lot of complicated interconnections. Um, it starts off talking about nostalgia, especially, and the uses that the past has as dream, as nightmare, and as a motivating political, economical, and historical force. And a lot to do, for example, with, uh, you know, all our favorite uh, uh, researchers and friends, uh, John, the late great guy, uh, Kyle, Flavor Kyle. So, Hello. sorry. I, I was just cheering on uh, oh. John and Kyle. <laughs> Woo. As one always should. Yeah, as, <laughs> as we always should. And it's uh, a lot of thinking about this, this idea of past. And especially for, from my end, this idea of the of science fiction. He talks about uh, time travel stories, but generally speaking, the future is deeply connected to the past. Uh, when one writes about a potential future, one is thinking about one's present and one's past. And one is writing about a future's past, which is a lot of the time ours. So a lot going on there. It's uh, the relationship between the future in science fiction and history is a deep one, as I also intend to prove in my dissertation about dispossessed um <laughs> but yeah that's what i have started reading this past week and one of the things i'm working with oh i have another media thing which i will briefly mention andrea camilleri's detective fiction on uh, salvo montalbano is a really interesting piece of detective stories which really breaks the norm and is really against those that misconception, which is largely true, but not really. Uh, it's a stereotype more than anything that, like, oh, detective fiction is inherently regressive and inherently conservative. I, I'd put it on, on, in terms of, like, it's more inclined to conservative positions and to these sort of uh, restorative and, and uh, you know, order-based ideas of restoring order and so on. But that's not always the case. The, the noir is a prime example of that not happening. But with Camilleri's fiction, Camilleri passed away a couple of years ago in his very advanced 90-something years, uh, still writing about two books a year. Uh, wow. And his detective fiction is really good, and it really breaks upon the idea of, like, what is relevant in these mysteries and these stories, like, and the, the official aspects of them is quite distinct from the mystery itself. So if you're interested in detective fiction and want to read something quite different and definitely out of the ordinary, I do recommend Andrea Camilleri's work. 
And as an aside, although I've read less of him, because there's both of them have plenty translated in English, uh, Massimo Carlotto's detective fiction, which goes in some darker direction. But uh, Camilleri's is uh, somewhat more familiar while being deeply strange and deeply new and definitely not uh, formulaic at all. So this is a brief recommendation that I might have now. All right, that sounds uh, honestly interesting. Yes. I will say for my part to seamlessly, accidentally seamlessly (laughs) jump in on this. Um, I bought a memory called Empire series recently. Oh, yes. Haven't started it yet. I have chosen to talk about memories in the past, and which is going to be relevant throughout this entire podcast episode, hey. I'm afraid. If not this entire podcast series, mind you, but okay. Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? Not to be an, an, a structuralist on Maine, but, <laughs> you know, it is. it never hurts to look at structure. I, my humble opinion, just don't put that... Uh, don't put it as a first and foremost thing or an exclusive exclusive thing. But um, it's interesting what you're saying about this conserv- this perceived conservative ownership of detective and cop stories in general. Yeah. I understand the cop element. And, you know, I understand that if you're going to do write a story about a cop or whatever equivalent of a cop that might be, you automatically are not locked in, but you already have one foot in that morass, if you will, um, in that swamp of uh, conservatism. Um, I personally, that's going to sound a bit lame, and I'm sorry, (laughs) but I don't believe that certain stories ontologically always have to be one thing. Yes. Or always have to be that, quote-unquote. Exactly. It it is... uh, Recently was reminded of a discussion uh, of this by... uh, well, no, let's not get into that one, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was something. Now, we will probably talk about that another episode for mm-hmm. another product, uh, art, piece of art, if you will. Because <laughs> it's going to be irrelevant. Uh, trust me. Just, just trust me on this one. I don't do. like saying that. But just, <laughs> dear audience, please trust me on this one. Please it's, do. Uh, you're not missing out either. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, everybody else is already talking about it. If you think about media, there's a certain type of movie that comes up which is so nowadays very linked to the cop movie, I would say, or copaganda or military propagandist, which is all, which is not identical to one another, but they do have lunch. Um, <laughs> if, if, I'm, if I'm allowed to be a little bit flippant about this. Oh, yeah. But um, that, and I'm rereading, because we are talking about Star Wars, so what what book series better to reread than the Dune series? Hmm. And since we're talking about memory, oh, boy. <laughs> I might have had a little bit too rose-colored view of that franchise because I liked the first book so much. And that was years ago. But still, I thought it was... Well, it is one of those books, right? It's one of those franchises. Yeah. It is... uh, I thought the movie was fine. Um, (laughs) Once again, maybe do a separate episode on the movie, but I will say too bad they somehow didn't put any uh, uh, Muslim actors in that movie since you're gonna <sighs> borrow yeah. so much from Islam then by all means which is it is a very diverse cast it's Polynesians Asians black people white people in it and you still didn't learn the right resin, a lesson from diverse <laughs> casting uh, it's still uh, not no. you know it, 
treating people here as quotas to be met instead of something, you know, to actually understand representation on a meaningful level. Yeah. But, oh, well. Not going to talk about Dune. Don't worry. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about the other one, Star Wars. Yay. And what a Star Wars it is. Cool. It sure is a war among the star. Okay, let's not do that. <laughs> I we usually get right into like the good stuff. In order to get into the good stuff this time, we are going to have to talk a little bit about the story and the lore surrounding it, because I think we can achieve a interesting perspective regarding the monomyth which we discussed in a previous episode. Yeah, and just how canon can work as a concept within media mm -hmm. and well it'll become obvious throughout the episode but those are two primers to get you uh to get you to focus on something regarding this whole uh backstory that we're sadly going to have to get into so we left off talking about the amazing revan the literal embodiment of the monomyth it is Luke for Luke Skywalker times twelve. He is he's amazing. He can do everything. He is a blank slate. He is so uninteresting. There is nothing interesting towards <laughs> Revan. And this is this trick, of course, that a lot of people who in, can enjoy media and only enjoy media on a very surface level, um, they don't embrace. They don't. They don't engage with media or any media products in a very deep or analytical way. And this is this cheap trick that the main protagonist is awesome and amazing and can do everything. And <laughs> there is so little to say about this character. They are so boring that you can just project yourself onto the character, yeah, which allows you to play the role, the role of matchless, peerless, amazing superhero. Which is what Revan is. <laughs> so Revan is the main protagonist of the first game, Knights of the Old Republic 1. And, well, as you might have guessed by now, he, canonically, a he, you can choose when you play the game if it's a he or she. Yeah. Canonically, he is, well, a huge deal. And there is this event before uh, Knights of the Old Republic 1, that's called the Mandalorian Wars. We talked about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And essentially, Revan and a group of other very talented Jedis break away from the Order, the Jedi Order, who didn't want to join in on the Mandalorian War. Because they were debating, is this just? Is, should we do this? And so forth. Not so much an element in the prequels that were released during the same time as this game. <laughs> uh, the prequels to the Star Wars trilogy, I mean. Yeah. Which the Jedi were just like, oh, cool, there's a clone army. Yeah, let's join this war. <laughs> it's just <laughs> there was no, there was there was a little bit of a debate, I believe. I've been a while since I watched those movies, but there was just like this quick hesitance of, hmm, should we really do this? And then at the end of the second movie, I believe they were like, yeah, we're we're doing this. We're, yeah, dude, fuck it. Yeah, shall we? What, accept what else this? are we gonna do? Shall we accept this mysterious army which we did not order? It's like. Sure, I'm <laughs> sure it'll be fine. Yeah, about your beautiful transcendental philosophies that, uh, what do they say about literal clone slave army? <laughs> like, does this not summon any problematic 
uh, elements to your to your theories, to your perception, to your ideologies. <sighs> no. Oh wow. Okay. Well, it's um it somehow manages to work because the Jedi are not supposed to be the uh, unequivocally good guys. It is uh, Emperor comes to power because of Jedi arrogance and so forth and so on. And, yeah. Well, we're not going to talk about the prequels here. <laughs> but this is more of a debate point in uh, the pre-story to Coder 1. And, uh, well, yeah. As Revan joins the fight, he, of course, wins because he's amazing and so forth and so on. And uh, he does a really cool war crime at the end. <laughs> and so, so we talked about Revan and Malak a little bit. So Malak is this... Ah, uh, it's it's this. <laughs> he is this. Uh, what, what are we gonna call him? Discount bargain bin Darth Vader has a breathing problem, metal jaw, and everything. He's uh, quite he's large. Bald. <laughs> he's quite large. Has a cape, shoulder cape this time, <laughs> and he betrays Revan because that's what the Sith do. Ha ha ha. It's uh, and he's then found by Basila Sean, and he gets like you put it, MK Ultra, and then uh, participates in the Jedi Civil War and fights Revan... Uh, sorry, Revan then fights Malak for the Republic, essentially. Yeah. You can choose to be evil, but canonically, you're good, so... Well, yeah, you're yeah, the yeah. prodigal knight. You, you, you have completed both dark side and light side side quests, and you can now kind of fuck around, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. So, in all seriousness, that happened, but alongside the Mandalorian War, Revan was joined by someone else. And canonically, the name of her is Mitra Surik. And she, we are going to refer to her as they, probably. Because, once again, you can decide whether or not uh, what the gender is yeah. of the character in the game Knights of the Old Republic 2, the sequel. And, oh lord, what a sequel it is. Um, <laughs> although we'll get we'll, to that in a moment. Although we'll also refer to them as the Exile, which is how everyone else refers to them. <laughs> Yes, because it's uh, it requires only one voice line to be recorded. So that's, oh yeah, uh, I can't can argue with that. That is a uh, a tried and true element throughout RPGs or <laughs> any video game really. Yeah. Where you can customize your character. The you always get like a a uh, a gendered how do you say that uni, this uh, uni gender title. Yeah, uh, Bioware does it all the time. I mean Shepard. Uh, you can just Shepard, uh, Revan, once again, in the first episode. Like, yeah. Um, it, it works for both genders, or, well, apologies, uh, for both. Well, back in the day, they only considered the two. Well, both available genders. Yeah, yeah, precisely. It's, um, it's an interesting exploration, this Knights of the Old Republic 2, mm. because it's actually in so many ways talks about the canon story much more than Knights of the Old Republic 1 yeah. uh, does and once again you are the left hand to Revan and you press the genocide button for Revan and <laughs> this is how the Mandalorian Wars ended they they <laughs> Oh, Christ. They had this mass weapon, or a ma weapon of mass destruction, called the Mass Shadow, Shadow Generator. Generator. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's, um... And it does a neat war crime, where it's just, like... 
it doesn't just kill a lot of people, but it implodes, question mark, or explodes this planet called Malachor. And it is this, it is described as the wound within the force. And well, that's how, because there's so much death. Well, many things will be described as the wound in the force, and we'll get to that, but it all starts with Malachor <laughs> 5. Yeah, our, the story of the exile definitely does. And this is an interesting choice for a RPG to make. Namely that they fix your backstory for you. Yeah, There is no escaping this. This is not up to debate. This is not... You cannot pick a background. The story of the exile is explored through fixed uh, canonical points in the past. And you get to roleplay by, by as it is revealed to you. Because, once again, um, this horrific end to the Mandalorian War, not discussed in the first game. Of course not. So, in, in the first game's defense, they probably just, just made that up. And uh, I don't know if there are any plans for a exile character or the, the character that the exile eventually becomes. Yeah. Um, at the time of Coder 1, I, uh, it won't matter a lot for our discussion, I think, um, if I have anything to say about it. But yeah. uh, it, is, it is interesting to explore this past of your character and then <laughs> the role you get to play is how do you want to respond to the information that you discover about your character. And I do think that's a very interesting approach to RPG games. This, Because every time, for any fixed point that you give a character, you get to explore it in a very specific way. Because if you go the, what I'm going to call the Skyrim approach, or the Bethesda approach, <laughs> it is this very open-ended, nobody knows anything about you, uh, you can be anything, and you can project anything onto the character that you're playing. And there's very little depth in, in that regard. Which is fine, apparently, based on sales numbers, worked for a whole lot of people. So, not judging that in any way, shape, or form. It is just this game, and I think Obsidian games in general, tend to do, tend to explore the other side of it. Yeah. Thinking about Follow New Vegas, as, and especially some of the DLC, that is 1,000% the case. It's like, your character has done things. What will you do now, knowing that? It is definitely an interesting choice to make for an RPG that isn't finished. <laughs> because, spoiler alert, <laughs> it's an Obsidian game, so it's not finished. Which is, you know, I don't want to blame Obsidian for that. But it does... Uh, seem to be a thing that they're plagued with, so to speak. And in this case, it's even more unfinished than usual. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, yeah. It's... There's this idea that modders fixed it. And they... They fixed it through this mod called the Restored Content Mod. And that's just not true. Yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, very impressive uh, that they put a lot of the content back in. But um, it still stops agonizingly close to the finish line, in my humble opinion, at least. Oh, yeah. I, I think, like, as a br brief comment to that, like, it's... They can't finish the game because they didn't develop the game. Um, they they, well, they did get, didn't get a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. But they... 
what uh, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about the martyrs here um oh sorry yeah they uh they res- i think the name is very representative of what they do like they restored content so like a lot of stuff that was incomplete or wasn't entirely there but was planned to be they added and tried to fix it in a sense but they can't finish the game properly they can't complete the game in that regard because they're not the ones who develop the game so they can you know connect a few loose ends here and there but they can't create a lot too much out of the blue and again restored content it doesn't fix the game entirely there are a lot of things especially at the end when we might get to talk about those um which just like yeah this is still shit this is awful um and it's like okay i guess this happens because it's not there it wasn't there so they can offer a little bit about it but not everything or not most of the stuff and that's all right uh, i think like their their models they're not they're not the video game developers they they're doing it for free so they went above and beyond in trying to make this game feel more complete even though it isn't um and that becomes apparent in the final sequences other stuff yes. it, it it works it's fine like oh i see this now and this now it's like some quests which were broken stuff which bugged out those things are a lot more streamlined and functional in in the restored content mode but the actual ending and the saga isn't really anyway go go ahead leon sorry no 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 worries um i will say there is some extra confusion at the end stage of the game because of that because there are certain dialogues sentences there that just don't make sense because oh. of the restored content mode ah. we're just left out uh yeah. i would say once again uh doesn't matter not really anything <laughs> I will, uh, just just a disclaimer because i hear people talk about this game as if it is finished by a dedicated group of modders even though i salute their efforts and it's very impressive what they did the game is not finished yeah so i don't want you to get into this idea of oh wow i can just uh finish this game or expect a finished product at uh, at the end of this podcast and go play it and then be disappointed that's just you know just some yeah. cautionary uh, it's more finished than the base game <laughs> but it's not definitely. finished really i still think it is an experience worth playing and i will get into it right after i finish up the lore bits i'm so sorry <laughs> but then it will always be it will be neatly tied together hopefully so we after hope the so. mandalorian war <laughs> right and after the Mandalorian War, uh, Revan is like, well, I'm not going to stick around. I just did a war crime. So he goes, into, uh, that's not the canonical reason, but he goes into the dark regions, the, you know, the, the good old sci-fi space trope <laughs> of the dark regions, the unknown regions, the whatever the fuck. The, uh, deep I space. like it, but it's a bit cliche. It's, uh, you know, yeah, deep space, thank you indeed. And he finds a Sith Empire there, not just a fleet, not just a planet, no, a whole Sith Empire. And he's like, wow, isn't the dark side cool, Malik? And Malik is like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and th- then they turn to the dark side. And either they're influenced or Revan chose the dark side as a tool. It is not necessarily... Uh... By the way, this is all not canon anymore anyway to the Star Wars universe since Disney's Inquisition. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, doesn't matter. So they return and declare war on the Republic. And uh, 
that's when Revan loses uh, because of his uh, because of Malik firing on his ship and so forth. Malik's ship, which is called a Leviathan, which is which is like this sci-fi cardinal <laughs> sin. You can't call ships a Leviathan. Come on, guys. Even in the early two thousands, well, have some decency, have some taste. Um, <laughs> I feel very strongly about that. It's one you of the really first do. Conversations. <laughs> That's something to know yeah, about Leon. It's something to know about Leon. It's it, and Lord knows we're going to encounter it uh, oh, throughout boy. multiple sci-fi products. But um, it's one of the first discussions I have with Frank. I think about sci-fi. We're, we're it's, talking uh, about Stellaris. <laughs> yes, yeah, Stellaris, and I was talking about um, the Expanse and the first book of the Expanse calls Leviathan Wakes. And I didn't pick up that book for the longest time because it was called Leviathan Wakes. <laughs> and uh, it's it's one of my favorite sci-fi series now, but uh, yeah. oh boy, that was a big hurdle for me. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, moving on, there, uh, and then Revan falls in love with this Jedi Knight, which is very interesting, called Basla Sean. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it's uh, Frank loves Basla. Oh. Uh, they think that's the best character there is. Oh. Totally good, not stuck up. Good old Bastila. Bastille, yeah. it's uh, th- this is important because they get children, <laughs> because of course they do, because it's Star Wars. Hey. Their great grandchildren fight in subsequent wars that we will get into later. It's just a just a little mentioning, don't worry. <laughs> but that, that's all the lore you need to know for now. You then are placed. Uh, you then get to play as the exile, and the exile is definitely not innocent. <laughs> and oh no. Uh, you kind of just hang around during the events of the Jedi Civil War. Once again, yeah, Jedi um, Civil War is... Sorry. If, if I'm not mistaken, what happens is, because you are, and this becomes clearer later, you are a general of Revan during the Mandalorian Wars, and you press the genocide button of the mass shadow generator. And... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> sorry. And after that, well, when the Civil War kicked off, you were like, oh god, what? A, and especially after the war and the beginning of the Civil War, you were like, what the fuck did I do? Um, and you sort of turn yourself in to the authorities of the Jedi Council. And, um, you know, they, they hate you because you disobey yeah, them. Yeah, well, Revan isn't around. So <laughs> I guess guess the trial need to be had with you. Revan is the prodigal knight now, so he, he's untouchable. Oh, so yeah. I guess, I guess you're fucked. I guess you need to turn out. You need to turn out uh, for Revan for Revan's mistakes. Exactly, and uh, you know they they uh, banish you not because you committed a genocide. No, that's that's not as important. It's because you disobey them, um, and then you get pretty yeah, pissed you off. You went to war. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, and uh, and you leave, and then you go into the into deep space for a while. And uh, you you return, but not to the place where Revan goes. Yeah, Sorry. different deep space. It's, it's a different deep, <laughs> right? It's a less important deep space. It's a if Revan yeah, goes to the, the non- relevant deep space, you go to the irrelevant. The non-plot deep focused space. deep space is my favorite deep space. No, you you can you can do a meme out of that. You know, this like slaps car. Like now, this is my kind of deep space, the irrelevant kind. Um, yeah, or or the iceberg meme with. Uh, <laughs> Like the grades of deep space, but never mind. Continue. Oh, the iceberg one. We need to make one uh, eventually. Um, 
But anyway, you go to another deep space and eventually you return for some reason. And you are kind of tracking down Revan, um, if I'm not mistaken, Revan or the Jedi Masters and trying to find out more about yourself. Both. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> and then... So first Revan, and then you settle on the Jedi Masters because Revan fucked off. Of course. Revan knew what time it was. <laughs> Revan went back to relevant deep space. Um, yes. And, and it le it's left to you to pick up the pieces after, right before Revan left. Um... You know, in between what happened in the first and second games, you're left to return, pick up the pieces, find out what happens and uh, what to do now. Um, and whatever yes. the hell's going on with the galaxy at this point. And uh, yeah, and then things go weird because you run into very important character. Yeah, it's it, because Malik was defeated by Revan so abruptly. There is this vacuum. Uh, in this, in, with the evil guys, with the darks, with the Sith, with the whatever. Yeah. And they, out of seemingly nowhere, because it's a time span of a couple of years at most. Yeah. A seemingly nowhere, some very interesting Sith lords, uh, which is the subtitle of this uh, game, hey. Knights of the Old Republic Two Sith Lords, and, well, we will get into the Sith Lords, but um, <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, oh. okay. Sorry, stay fo stay staying focused here. Okay. Oh, there's so okay. much to get. Okay, <laughs> staying focused. <laughs> Sorry, and then uh, yeah. So you start off the game on the most beautiful, well thought out introduction section to any RPG ever. That the nobody first, hates. The second Everybody or third loves Moragas. Uh, mm -hmm, sorry. The first or uh, the second or the third one. Uh, the, the first one, Paragas, is the best one, baby. It's. Oh, no, uh, I'm thinking of the actual, the the, the before that. The, okay. Which so, I think yeah, is we actually have a tutorial good. section. Yes. Which you can skip. You uh, can. If you're if you're new if you're not new to the game then you can uh, then you can play it, which is fine. Um, you can just you can just put Anton on that ship, <laughs> and just go to Talos. Uh, Talos, Ta Telos, Telos, Telos. There. We yes. Go. Sorry, I'm always there's always a, a Talos and Atlas and uh, an Hyperion inside. In, that's that's like diagonally below Hi Leviathan, Hyperion, Talos, uh, Talos, and uh, the other one that I just said. Sorry, Talos, uh, Atlas. Yes. So <laughs> Atlas is going to be relevant later hmm. because of a certain book by a certain person. But oh well. Oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry, it won't be a big part. Yeah. But uh, th this is, of course, a joke. Anyone who has played the game knows that Paragus is the my most mind-baffling, mind-ogling, terrible introduction to it's any RPG whatsoever. It's like, hey, you like Star Wars, that action franchise with lightsabers and like force powers? Well, go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're not getting a lightsaber. You're, it, it denies its own poetics in such an interesting way, I guess. Yeah. Like well, the game denies you a lightsaber for quite some time. Right. Which is, I think, interesting. Yes. As, as, a, as if I'm going to... I'm not going to argue for authorial intent, but I'm going to argue as an interesting addition to forcing you to pay attention to the plot. Yeah. And it isn't just like, oh, here's your dopamine sword or your dopamine <laughs> saber. And enjoys slashing bad guys, uh, like, cleave them in the middle. And it's just, 
and you even get a talking to by a certain character that you meet uh, this mentor figure called Kreia and Kreia oh, oh <laughs> mm, okay Kreia is alongside one other character called uh, we talked about him already a little bit in the first episode yeah but the character called Candorus of Clan Ordo a Mandalorian and Kreia and Candorus are the two companion characters that I want to talk about we'd love to talk about more but th- those are the only two I'm going to talk about in depth because mm-hmm. otherwise be a three hour episode I'm not going to edit that oh Fuck yeah that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I will say the Obsidian does pick up this quality of companion uh, com- a quality of party companions that Bioware establishes yes. showing that it is not a universal Bioware trait to have interesting or at least captivating uh, companion characters it <laughs> also allows you for those who are interested in that uh, it allows you freedom in who you want to romance with the uh, ultra deluxe options of not one but two <laughs> Uh, romance, uh, gender locked, uh, locked in gender specific romances, sadly. Well, it's, gender specific um, companions as well, which I thought was awful. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, fucking <laughs> Frank played through it as the canonical gender, and uh, I never do. Why? <laughs> because um, because I hate women. No, because I um. Because I'm so sorry, I'm really sorry, but the companion selection is just better if you pick a guy. It's you get this dweeb called Mikel. If you're if you pick a woman character, it's um, oh, well. Anyway, Frank, you can tell more about that. About the disciple. <laughs> yeah, but we don't have to talk about him if you. Yeah, I think it would be more appropriate if you just don't talk about Mikel. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to say a line or two about him right now, which is that, like, he's not that interesting. He he sounds like a weird, he's very soft-spoken. It's quite nice. Seems really creepy. Is actually a spy, and that's about it. It doesn't do anything else with it. And it's like, oh, you know, if you, if you went deeper into the spy angle, that could have been more fun, but eh, then the game ends. And uh, a historian. He is a, a, a force historian, maybe. Well, he says he is, but he's also a spy, so I, I don't know. Um, but I like him conceptually, um, but the game doesn't do much more with him. And apparently, if you play as a guy, you get a better companion. You get like a much more interesting companion in a character called the Handmaiden. Eventually, her real name is Brea, Brea, something like that. And her conversation tree once again she's a romanceable character uh, but her conversation tree it goes in depth about how to deal with feelings how to talk about the force which is one of the first conversations you have with her mm-hmm. and uh, she, it turns out that she's force sensitive and you can awaken that uh, in her her ability to use the force and this is very interesting because this is something that I want to talk about because it makes gameplay sense and it makes uh, just Star Wars sense if that makes <laughs> <laughs> that's the right word for it but the exile has the coolest set of powers of any star wars character yes if i could if i could choose to be any if get anyone's special traits it would be the exiles because the exile has this because it's not just a force push or something you know silly and 
which is fine if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> only minimal, minimal judgment on that one if you can, if you listen closely. <laughs> but um, the exile has pure force empathy, and that's so interesting because it, once again, it, it's right off the bat, like it shows that Obsidian made such an interesting choice for a interesting force power because it indicates this perception of the force which is going to be the main discussion point i'm sorry but this <laughs> conceptualization of the force that is so different than hero with shiny saber crashing down having operatic confrontation with his his previous students and uh winning and just being all powerful or whatever yeah it because this force adapts is what it's believed it's called in the uh, extended universe lore. Mm -hmm. I used to read a lot of books <laughs> um, because I had sleeping issues and they were really boring. So I, they actually helped me fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a fun time with him. You know, it, it was... Uh, nowadays, I don't really consume media that way. But back in the day, I used to just watch or read uh, stuff I didn't take that seriously that I could just enjoy as a... What people you like to call turn your brain off kind of way to enjoy things. Mm -hmm. I don't do that anymore, but back in the day, uh, before I got my ADHD indication uh, <laughs> or diagnosis, <laughs> it was the best I got. So um, I did have a, a, uh, a semi-ironic blast with the extended universe. It is one of a kind, and oh boy. <laughs> it's not good, but it is interesting, I think. It is interesting to see a massive franchise just be like fuck it write whatever I, I i cannot tell you i cannot lie i'm captivated by the choice but <laughs> more about that in a very special segment later on at the end of the episode yes it is um <laughs> it is uh but anyway this conceptualization of the force is so interesting because the exile the exile superpower if you will is that they can just form connections in through the force with people they are close with and they can force them uh, not force uh, they can they can use the force trademark and in this way that they can just bond so tightly with someone and it can be used as like knowledge exchange and it opens up this really interesting philosophical but uh, potential of can through the force can you share objective information with each other like can you it, through this force empathy can you maybe like have this ontological uh exchange with one another like <laughs> you know Kant would have a blast is all i'm saying it's, with the exile it's really interesting i hadn't thought about this before but it's very much that kind of thing which is the way that ursula Le Guin actually thinks about the telepathy or a mind communication or mind speak uh, is how she refers to it as this way of uh uh telepathic thinking which one cannot lie and that is that is something special that is something special indeed uh in just how yeah. specific um how to deal with that kind of connection and it's like what if there was a way where you can communicate with someone where there is only truth and what even that is the truth um but anyway uh i think it, it kind of connects with this empathic force power that the exile has in like projecting themselves onto someone but that isn't i mean it's never entirely clear but there doesn't seem or 
doesn't even is uh, or isn't even uh, forceful. No, it's it seems like it's uh, both ways. Yeah, and both they can because there are some cryptic conversations with Kreia. Yeah, and they they say it is an option to shield or from each other to shield this connection or whatever. Uh, it is presented in this relatively relatively wholesome way. So I, yeah, it 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 does summon this unfortunate question there of how does that work how does consent work in this pure empathy force relation yeah um since that's not a thing that the game talks about i don't feel comfortable like entertaining that possibility since it's not going to be relevant and there's already uh <laughs> there's already a lot to talk about regarding this uh, this <laughs> conceptualization of the force but um yeah but it, 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 I find it so interesting the choice to go with a force bond, as they call it, and this this amazing way to learn rapidly because you can place this first-hand experience, this almost objective perception of how you experience the thing into the other person's mind. They constantly use this type of language with one companion and romantic interest. If you're a guy. <laughs> uh, uh, Fisa Mar, the girl who was blind is called Fisa, which is slightly ableist. Um, I didn't, uh, mm, bit unfortunate there, Obsidian, yeah. but oh well. But it sadly is a very interesting character. So her species is blind and can see through the force. And because you're this force empath, she there, there's a constant talk about allow me to see through your eyes, allow me to see from your perspective. And there's this intimate bond between Exile and uh, Visa Mar. Even though you might not romance her, there's still this very interesting, I think at least, uh, interesting exploration of how the Force can work in a very deeply personal way. Yeah. Because the Force, at the end of the day, is just a tool in the original trilogy and so forth. I found this was like a really interesting, unique choice. Uh, enough about that, because I said that three <laughs> times now. But... Um, <laughs> Coder 2 is so is allowed, I will say, in Coder 1's defense, Coder 2 is allowed to be interesting because Coder 1 is such a faithful Star Wars story. And together, they are so interesting because Coder 2 hits different um, because Coder 1. You, if you just play Coder 2, you wouldn't get the optimal experience, in my humble opinion. <laughs> because Coder yeah. 1 is such... A dedicated, a dedicated to the monomyth as well, and Coder Two critiques that, but it can only critique that because Coder One is so faithful and tried and true adaptation of uh, the monomyth of Star Wars. I agree. And yeah, right. And I, I so I, I, I keep talking about Coder Two as if it's this superior work, and in some ways it is. Yeah. I do like it, but I'm allowed to like it because of the hard work of Knights of the Old Republic 1. Exactly. Which is something which Obsidian does again with New Vegas in <laughs> comparison to Fallout 3. True. A lot of people endlessly praise New Vegas, and rightfully so. It is much more interesting than Fallout 3. Remember in Fallout 3 when you like have a dad that's like a scientist that wants to save the world, and if you nuke a place, he's like, oh man. Why'd you nuke the place? I'm very disappointed in you. Anyway, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> oh, beautiful game. Anyway, 
it's, it's, it's this interesting thing about Obsidian because they tend to do that. Uh, they've all they've done it twice, which is not that great amount, just twice. But it is interesting that it happened twice. Well, it, it happened twice in uh, in the most iconic ways because these are games yes. that are very praised. Follow New Vegas even more so. So definitely, it's not like oh, it happened twice. No, it happened twice famously, but. Uh, to, to draw into what you were mentioning in, in like how it is heretical it is very narratively interesting because like I, I was thinking about this like oh in the first game you have like oh the light side and the dark side and that's about it and like these are the heroes these are the villains you can be a hero you can be a villain you're the, a god basically but you can choose which side you want to support in this game it's only binary <laughs> exactly in the second one, it's, um, every, I'm going to be blunt. There are different steps of gradients, moral gradients to choose from. Yeah. And even further than that, I think like what is, what would be perceived as the good or the bad side, like they're not great. The, it's like everyone is, well, almost everyone, I think, save for the exile, if you take a particular path with them. Um, is pretty much blinded by their own, I don't know, ideas, ideals, goals, objectives. Oh, Lord. Um, Atris. Uh, oh. Just going to say one name. Exactly. Atris. <laughs> but, like, not even just Atris. Like, you can t t think that on the various Sith Lords. And even the Jedi Masters. Like, they're... they're I, I really like what happens. Well, maybe I not, not like, but it's quite fitting what happens to them. And the way that you, as the exile, are made to feel about them as things happen. Because, a little bit more story, uh, when you left, you were blinded or you were uh, shut out of the Force. You could not hear, communicate, or use any Force powers. You were cut off. And you always believed that it was the fault of the Jedi Masters. As, you know, they cut off your connection to the Force because of what you did. And, you know, you return and you are awakened to the Force again. And you you run into them again and it's like, what? how how are you doing this? It's like, okay, we'll help you. Um, oh, interesting thing about that. Interesting. Uh, well, I'll return to that point and the ways they help you. But, because uh, there's uh, either an inconsistency there or further hypocrisy. <laughs> uh, which is a good selection to have. Mm? I'm not quite sure what you're referring to, but I'm looking forward to it. Sorry, please go uh, on. I'll, I'll get to that. But um, <laughs> uh, effectively, you when you return to them, you you're trying to find out what happened because you that that's what you believe happened after your trial, which you find out they had a conversation and they had a, kept a big secret. Um, and you always think and you always thought that it is that they cut you off from the force. And when you run into them, it's like oh, that's something that the council decided. We decided together. If we return, we come back together as council, we'll be able to help you. Blah 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 la di da da. Um, so you run into them, you find them, um, mostly, and you bring them back together. And then they tell us like, no, we we did cut you off. You were cut off already, via or you cut off yourself from the force, knowingly or not. Yes. And you were this because you did a war crime. <laughs> and you were like this living wound in the forest this void and we were scared so we exiled you um unfortunately we you did left not understand you yes 
Uh, and now here you are again, bringing that same void, opening further that wound in the force. Um, and that's why we're going to do what we did last time. I'm going to cut off your force powers. And it's like, wait, what? And it's like, yep, nope, sorry, it's, this isn't going to hurt much. <laughs> and yeah. um, that happens, and then you're saved uh, by, uh, by Kreia. Yeah, who proceeds character. Yes, who proceeds to kill all of them. Which is a bit extreme. Not not just kill. Yes. I'm so sorry. To, exactly. To, to be annoying here, my apologies, Frank. <laughs> no, I, I I I I did I said so specifically so you would. With a with a, with not even a smack of the hands, she kills their souls. <laughs> their bodies are husks and still alive, which is okay. So I'm sorry, but now I'm gonna have to interrupt you, and we're gonna have to talk about Kreia. Real quick. Oh yeah. You mentioned the binary structure of the first game. Yes. And when, like I was saying, like because of this binary structure, we can now explore something more interesting. The exile has followed Revan when Revan was quote unquote good, and when Quevin, <laughs> Quevin, nice, <laughs> when Revan was quote unquote bad. Yeah. So the exile has just like Revan mastered both light and dark, mm -hmm. and neither Dantooine or Korriban has anything left to teach the Exile, which is why those academies are all in ruin, actually. Which is so interesting, but I will... Oh, yeah. Oh, Christ. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to have to maybe return about that later. Did you hear that? I did. Oh, I'm sorry. That's fireworks here. Oh. Anyway, um, I hope it was fireworks. <laughs> but um, besides that, uh, so you have learned the good. You've learned the bad. None... No, nothing binary can teach you anything. Can teach the exile anything interesting more. Kreia can. Kreia showed up, seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. And Kreia has. Oh, Kreia. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's just Kreia has a magnificently interesting vision of the Force. Yeah. It has. She has such. It is. Hmm, okay. So Kreia despises the Force. Yes. Kreia has this message, which is just purely heretical to what Star Wars previously was and what Star Wars after this game, regardless of this game, continues to be. Yeah. Because it is, it is unreconcilable. It is... It, it, is like, uh, you, you, it cannot be conjoined again. Oh, I will make a be, brief uh, parenthesis before you carry on. Um, just precisely because this position is so heretical and precisely because this game manages to be so heretical of the Force, I believe that the only way to make a, a new and interesting Star Wars piece of media uh, in the future is to be as heretical or in the her heresy inclined direction that this game takes in. Anyway, that's my two cents yeah. of it, about it. Carry on. I, I fully agree, which will never happen on a Disney. Unfortunately. Disney, uh, fun side note, after the Inquisition of Disney, uh, they were the most interested in Revan, actually, to revive Revan as a canonical piece of uh, of the new canon. <laughs> and uh, which is, you know, if you have paid attention about the monomyth, perfectly fits in the Disney narrative, right? In the D Disney collection of stories. Yeah. And so this, Kreia has this, has this heretical message. Kreia's point, heretical message, these are all going to be synonyms for each other because Kreia hates the Force. And Kreia very shrewdly, once again, seems like a fragile old woman. It's essentially this 
woman Palpatine, if you will. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's this this very wise and interesting and low key uh, mentor figure for you. I think because she's once again. I think she, I think she's better than Palpatine as well. Oh, definitely. In every single way. Rhea, uh, Rhea, Christ, Kreia, I'm doing great today. <laughs> Kreia has this objectivist approach to the Force, as in she hates it because it is. She acknowledges or dares to ask the question, "What? It, what? What about the Force as a as a determinist entity?" In the sense that, as you can see in like uh, episode three. Revenge of the Sith, and who oh boy, what a revenge it is. Um, in, <laughs> besides the point. But within that episode, the Force picks losers and winners. It is, <laughs> if it is this all-powerful being, all this... this. I, I ended the last episode with asking you, can you think of a synonym for the Force? <laughs> and you were like, fuck you, Leon. And I was like, yes, <laughs> thank you, Frank. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like the energy or whatever, the power. It, it, is, it is that abstract. It is that, it is like, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to talk about this quote from Joseph, uh, Joseph Campbell, <laughs> which shows you why I dislike Joseph Campbell. Yeah. This is going to be, it's going to be a very fun side note. Don't worry, it won't take long. But this quote goes, uh, oh Christ, this quote goes something along the lines of this. He, he talks about the force or not the force from Star Wars, but it's from what George Lucas made the force. Uh, the force dad, if you will, or mother, <laughs> whatever. Um, he goes on to say something along the lines of, this power is to science known as energy, to the Mel Melanesians known as mana, to the Sioux Indians known as Okunda, to the Hindus known as Sakti, to the Christians as the power of God. Its manifestation in the psyche is termed by psychoanalysts as libido, and its manifestation in the universe, the structure and flux of the universe itself. So, uh... That's like some 7 to 20 different leaps of logic in one sentence. Well, even, like, just the attempt of, like, forcing all these beautifully distinct and cultural sensitive <sighs> conceptualizations together strips them of their individuality, of their uniqueness and their backstory and their what, what yeah. drives their... Their History. conceptualization, what makes them interesting? <laughs> yeah, right. Their interest, their 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 history, and that that's baffling to me. Uh, and then psychoanalysis. About <laughs> do you? Yeah. Do you want to say anything about uh, the power of God being libido? Do you? Uh, <laughs> as an asexual Christian, do you feel like <laughs> you want to? Um, yeah? No. No. Yeah? Uh, Kevo can go fuck himself. <laughs> Right, I'm sorry to do this to you, by the way, but I thought <laughs> it's okay. I mean, so this is why historically I... speaking, the power of God has been libido at least at one point. Um, Fair. Uh, I don't. I, I'm not gonna remember her For name, you. but Hadovich of somewhere, um, which was a nun who wrote her memoirs, and her connection to God was indeed deeply sexual. Um, oh yeah, she was, of course, uh, and some of her work, Brenda's Heresy, but um, not as inconsistent with theology as the Church would like you to think. But yeah, uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting. But uh, the way he's speaking, like, oh fuck, fuck's sake, give me a break. And um, so, sorry, to just sum it up, 
So Kreia has a very hateful vision of the Force. This idea unto itself is like, <laughs> is, is the main point of her hereticism. And it recontextualizes destiny and the Force as this tyrannical, uh, <laughs> ubiquitous power. Yeah. And, or ubiquitously tyrannical, whatever. And it, so that's, that's the summary of Kreia. And it is, uh, once again, it's very interesting to find these locations that you've visited in the first game. Dantooine, the Sanctuary of the Jedi, Korriban, the home planet of the Sith, or the Sith Academy, and uh, Metalcore as well, up to a point, I suppose. But both the Light and the Dark Side Academies are in ruin. Yeah. And it, it's just such beautiful aesthetic to, <laughs> to drive home this point that there's nothing there for you in the binary system anymore so um <laughs> structurally one could argue uh transpositive uh, <laughs> it's, uh it's uh you know trans rights anyway so <laughs> i'm going to talk about atrus really quick okay uh if that's okay with you i'm s just don't worry of course best but of luck atrus is also once again and i say this a lot i'm sorry <laughs> but it's really interesting yeah because she utilizes the star wars aesthetic of clean symbolism and sterility yeah. uh, in her little in her little uh, replication of the Jedi Order suite that she has on Telos in like the snow covered uh, uh, North Pole whatever it's it's and she like has a female oh, sorry a woman only uh, security force like hyper uh, competent group of women warriors that do her bidding yeah. Uh, not quite sure what to like non non force sensitive Jedi essentially, <laughs> just this hyper competent group of uh, women, and she, oh, oh, she hates you, or oh, she hates the exile, because yeah. the exile is in so many ways who she wanted to be, and Atris is so interesting because to me at least is so interesting, mainly because I can't think of another video game character that so casually is so chock full of disdain for the main character <laughs> or for the player character that's interesting but also Atris is the grandiose culmination of Jedi inaction yes. and this inaction refers to her being condescending towards the exile because the hate and there might be once again because the exile is has this force empathy there might have been this deeper connection to Atris and the Exile. There's, it's, it's allured to it a little bit. You can read as much into it as you want. But there is this... At the very least, there was this admiration towards the Exile. And the Exile then does, kind of, what Atris always wanted she could do. But Atris is too much of a goody little two-shoes to ever defy the Jedi Order, <laughs> and is too addicted to, like, rising in its ranks, I think. And... <laughs> Despite using this Star Wars aesthetic of goodness, clean, white, uh, everything, she, because of her severe hatred towards you, it is very much communicated to you on the early stage that she has fallen to the dark side. Even though you don't find out until much later. Uh, it's, you know, it's her severe hate that I think is so beautifully ironic <laughs> that she was afraid that you would fall to the dark side because you joined the war. That her resentment for that and her blind cognitive dissonance belief in inaction, inaction being inherently superior to action in this case, 
that this yeah. is why she fell to the dark side. I think that's I think that's beautiful. <laughs> uh, sorry, but that's you don't get that every day because usually it's the choices that you make in RPGs are like one or the other, and to explore um, consequences of previous events or events to that are previous to this game um, <laughs> in such a, a meaningful way, I think it's great. And sadly, not a lot of games do that, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you uh, have anything to add to that? Or just, uh... I, you know, I, I think your, your approach of Atris was excellent, like in just how... Oh, thank you. Because she wants to be... Uh, she wants to be you. She still wants to be you and do what you do, which is to be like this... In... <laughs> In your rejection for the Force trademark, you become closer to the Force, no trademark. And, and as such, you're a more powerful beacon for it. While she connected to the Force trademark, the institutional Force. Uh, this is, these are terms that Leon wrote in our notes. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, real quick. Mm. Sorry. The, what I mean with that is like the Force is embedded and taught in the form of rules and rituals that materialize in the practice of the of individuals who hold those value systems, beliefs, and ways of thinking. As in, the Jedi's political and legal conditions are reinforced through the ideological interpretation of the Force trademark. So, because this ritualization of the Force and ideological... Ideologicalization? Let's, let's call it hmm. that. Of the Force, you no longer have access to this beautiful uh, sibling-inducing, we-are-all-equal type of force, this non-secretariat type of force, yeah. and you move to your version of the force, the force trademarked, is what I, is what I amateurishly call it. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I mean with that. Sorry to interrupt you, Frank. No, not at all. Important, an important remark. But especially... move to the trademark. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the sorry, trademark... Sorry. No, no worries. But the trademarked force, it is this, it's this institutional way of the force, which was Atris's connection to it. She could never have disobeyed the Jedi Council um, like you did, Precisely. which is what she wanted to do all along. Uh, and in your rejection, you become closer to the actual the force, the one that is not beholden to institutional, political, or legal power. And as such, you become something else. I... Um, I'm going to make a bold claim, but I think you're, you're a threat to the Sith, to the Jedi and the Jedi Council, not because you're, you're oh, because you were uh, stripped away from the Force and reconnected to the Force, or even because of your um, emp empathetic Force powers, but especially because you were... As we were saying earlier, because you rejected that bloody binary. It's because you found places in between that were connected, separate, and beyond both of those. You refused an existence in just one. And in that sense, like, what the fuck are you? What are you doing? Um, you become this very lethal force, quite concretely speaking, to the powers that be. And that can be, you know... The, the Sith or whatever the, the these Sith Lords are and the Jedi and the Jedi Council. It's like you're they say that you're this wound in the force. That you're 
that you are bringing about the death of the Force. And I don't, I don't think you are. Like, I think that's how they perceive you, but I, I think they're frankly wrong. Um, but you, in a sense, you do. You are the death of the Force trademark. And a, yes. a re restructuring or a, re a revitalization of that original Force as this connecting Force... Uh, between all living things, all living beings, all space and matter. And in that way, you're extremely dangerous. Um, as you know... Yeah, uh, you are... No, go on. Sorry. Go on. You are this... Uh, within the story as is, we, you, are, you have become this exemplar of wrongness. You deny mm -hmm. this transcendental virtue that the Jedi approach to the Force trademark, their trademark of the Force, uh, expounds this. Once again, you can look at the this distinct philosophy that they have that you're taught over and over again in the first game yeah. about uh, harmony and so forth, serenity. They have this little code uh, that, that beautifully sums it up. And um, But that's that's what happens in... And I, I'm, so, I'm so happy that you caught on to that because I was not explaining it <laughs> that, uh, that greatly or that amazingly, but... Um, it focuses on that in the story, but because of they because of them focusing on that in the story, the meta contextual message then of this game becomes this. Uh, this becomes like the sword that, that they use to strike at the monomyth with, because <laughs> within the story they resent they reject the Jedi and also the Sith of course, but because that in the meta contextual way, it purposefully distances itself and critiques the monomyth of Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Which I think is so beautifully done. It's like, oh. I mean... Uh, <laughs> to have this duality. I'm going to return to that scene with the Jedi Council of everyone, you know, having their souls consumed. Um, because, <laughs> sure, maybe you didn't want to kill them, but uh, you, you... You basically saved pretty much every single one. Um, helped them in their own journeys. And I, I, what I mentioned earlier, that they helped you they taught you force stances, force powers, and ways of using the force um, that were, you know, uh, novel for you and that you wouldn't learn previously of ways of using your lightsaber and using your force powers. So that's what they taught you. But then, once you bring them all together, there's like, you're the wound in the force. We need to do what we didn't then and return you to being cut off from the force. And you're just like, which is why Kreia loves you. Exactly. <laughs> um, Everyone hates you. Everyone is disapproving of you. Exactly. Except for Kreia. Kreia loves you. Kreia loves you. Because uh, within you, she sees the death of all things. And she says it herself. It's, Yay! Okay, sorry. <laughs> Very cheery person, Kreia is. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in, in that way, you're like, oh, what? I, I, I distinctly remember that scene because in the dialogue options you can like, oh, you can humbly accept it, which is the sucker option. You can, it's like, wait, what? Which is the, you know, a, a, a reasonable response. So it's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm not going to, over my dead body. But uh, effectively you have no choice because they sort of uh, lock you in place um, and are going to cut you off from the force. And, uh, you know, then Kreia shows up and, uh, 
to, you know, drain them and you in a way. But I think she knows that that won't work and that she can't kill you like that. So, so yeah, uh, while she is very extreme, it's like, you're no friend of the Jedi Council, not after that fucking scene. And it's like, yeah, you know what? You're actually a big threat and uh, we need to contain you. And uh, you, you, what you did so far, eh, who cares? You need to stop. Um... And uh, again, you have no choice because Grey intervenes. They give this customary, yeah, by the way, we're really sorry, by the way. Uh, anyway, continuing, cutting <laughs> you off on the force. It's, uh, yeah, it, so to to close the file on Kreia for, for now, at least. Um, Kreia is, has this fiercely individualistic approach to the force. Why I mentioned Atlas earlier is because I joked to Frank at the beginning of their journey with this game that Kreia is the Force Iron Rand uh, up to a point. She has this objectivist approach to the Force. She, uh, like, my favorite example is her criticizing you, giving a homeless person money because he didn't earn it. And it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, fuck's sake. But her vision is so interesting. And this does leave me with this sense of decom uh, discombobulation because it's like i hate iron rant with a severe passion i think any rational person does yeah and um but you can and i want to be very careful with this but you can learn things from flawed sources and teachers yes it might not always be what they want you to learn from them but you can learn from it and I, I want to be careful with this because, once again, this can be a justification for a bunch of different stuff because it's that, uh, it's that it's so non-specified. Yeah. But I do ultimately believe that you can learn from uh, problematic people up to a point. Yeah. Uh, once again, Korea is very interesting and I'm very happy to have her as the, well, as it turns out, the main villain. Yeah, sure. I think now is the... <laughs> The transition point for us to talk about the Sith Lords. Yeah, uh, I don't want to say her name. I, so, I, say, I can say it, um, and I can quote the game. Kreia is uh, Darth Treya, the betrayer. There must always be one who betrays. <sighs> well, it's, it's a long tradition to have terrible names for your villains in Star Wars. And yeah. I pointed out to Frank... Um, I will say, if you say that there's a Sith Lord somewhere called Darth Treya, I would probably punch you in the face. <laughs> so it's like, you know, <laughs> I won't believe you. Like, the, shut the fuck up. It is, it's such a stupid name. Oh, this game definitely tops off like the, the Sith Lord Star Wars names. And there are two other students out there from Kreia. Yeah. Um, one, uh, Atris also is like evil at the end, but she has already been interesting in a non-combative way. She's already been interesting in the way that I tried to describe. And oh, yeah. she, um, there are two other students. Do you want to do the honors? Go ahead. Go, go of course. Um, there is Darth Zion. And there is Darth Nihilus. Darth Zion, who can rebirth himself. He is this walking corpse that cannot die. He's this zombie Sith Lord. Looks kind of cool, I guess. But, uh, yeah, he... <laughs> and Darth Nihilus is this really interesting character because, well, sadly, he is this personification of, like, a amateur understanding of Nietzsche's philosophy. <laughs> but, um, it's... But moving on, he 
he aesthetically is very interesting and um he embodies what is on the other side so we talked about this virtuous transcendental jedi if you like fully commit to the jedi trademark mm -hmm. you become this uh expounder of wisdom uh if you believe in that sort of thing <laughs> and <laughs> this this harmonic uh being and nihilus is a very interesting other side of the skill it's a very interesting how do you say counter thought to the harmonic idea of the jedi it is what you do when you are just when, when you like lose yourself physically in the force but it is the dark side trademark force <laughs> he is the culmination of what is ultimately their quasi-fascistic ideology the ship that darth nihilus has is not osha approved <laughs> not a hero of the working class people not at all um <laughs> not <laughs> sorry S stupid note anyway it's um, a good note but yeah i do think he's so interesting and once again, here is where we clearly see the rough edges of the game, where it is just not finished. And I would have loved to have more backstory. And I rarely say that, by the way, ever, because <laughs> I don't think backstory makes things better, yeah. or lore does. But once again, I think Darth Nihilus could have been a very interesting exploration of uh, the eternal pit that is fascism. Yeah, this... Um... And like this, the... using others. Yeah, because he, he is this, like, uh, endless consumption personified. Because he's sort of this drain of the force. And, like, he requires... Uh, he needs to drain the force in all living things. Otherwise, he'll die. And so he needs to drain the entire galaxy. Um, and, you know, endless consumption, fascism, and, and violence in order for... A pure nothingness is um yeah that's uh that's something he's an interesting character and although he is somewhat unfinished in that regard his ending so to speak is incredibly interesting because as we mentioned um visa uh, who was who she is this um what's their name the the blind species who um uh, Luke? yeah mira lucas and she she has this connection to the force and can see through the force and she was his apprentice kind of forcefully weirdly and you know yeah not willingly yeah and when you kill them she goes over and like because he has a mask the entire time and she goes over to like oh she has like oh can i have a moment it's like of course go ahead i'm not an idiot and i'm not a dick and um she like she removes his mask and you don't see it and then she goes back and and talks to you, and it's like, oh, do you have what you look for? Yeah, he's a man. That's all he was. Um, and uh, that, I think, is pretty awesome. Because, like, he's this Fred, he's this massive thing which will consume the galaxy. And yet, what was he underneath, you know, the mask, like the, the, the power of Darth Nihilus? He was a man who's, like got uh, well kind of mad with power and consuming everything and um yeah that's that's as far as he'd gone <laughs> overdosed on the force trademark if you will. exactly and but he wasn't special he wasn't anything else um and i i, th I think that was excellent uh, uh to counter that story mm -hmm. sorry can i of course go ahead uh, <laughs> sorry to to make a interesting non-force user character 
make use of an interesting non-force using character. Uh, Kendra's Ordo story yeah. is so tragically beautiful and it's this <laughs> counter to in a way is structured the same way but in a non-force way that to that of Darth Nihilus so Kendra's Ordo is this very prominent soldier in the Mandalorian Wars he's a Mandalorian chieftain I believe and um, and throughout the first game if you if you talk to him you get this exploration of of, of his regrets and eventually you can kind of steer him away <laughs> from this this warrior cult that the Mandalorians are and maybe allow for some personality to develop if you will and then the, <laughs> then that ceases to exist because Kandra's Ordo is sucked into the vortex that is the realization that you are Revan in the first game yeah, and it just falls to the wind, and at the end of the game, so you don't even see this in the game, but in between one and two, there's this moment where Revan gives Candorus the mask of Mandalore, which is this crown, if you will. Like okay, you are Mandalore now. I defeated the last Mandalore because I'm Revan and I do that kind of shit. <laughs> and um, it's, it, sorry, it's just not any deeper than that. It isn't. And. Kandorus ceases to be a person. He then refers back immediately to his warrior cult self and can now be what he kind of, what the ultimate culmination is of his warrior's religion. Namely, I am no longer Kandorus or I'm no longer a man. I am Mandalore and I can be whatever I need to be for my people, which sounds very heroic and nice, but sadly, what he chooses to be for his people is reverting back to his dogmatic warrior ways. Yeah. And he picks up, like, you know, he never says that he's Kandor's Ordo, but it's very obvious. Yeah. A, it's the same voice actor. <laughs> and B, you know, you're told that he goes from Kandor's Ordo to Mandalore, but the character never calls, says, hey, I'm Kandor's Ordo, because he killed that part of himself. Yeah. And he just becomes Mandalore, which I think is so tragic. And, like, <laughs> just shows how silly the revelation is that you're Revan <laughs> and even it's not just Kendra's Ordo and this is my big issue with because this is where Revan meets the heretical message because Revan is not bothered by the heretical message because Kreia and Revan knew each other we are told yeah and we can reasonably assume that Revan can understand the message but doesn't engage with it in any meaningful way. Yeah. Because Revan, even Revan is sucked into his own vortex yeah. and goes into the deep spaces and has to fight that empire. On like a so, holy mission. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, he doesn't reconcile himself with Kreia's message and nobody else does. And then, oh, and then Obsidian's uh, agency is done. And even though Obsidian made the exile this... Uh, the exile a creature of agency without divinity because no force um, then immediately that is wiped off the table and in the subsequent book because there's a book <laughs> and an MMO after this the canonical story for the exile is that she goes after Revan and tries to fight the empire that lies in the shadows and I'm just like man <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> that is... Uh, you have this beautiful confrontation that 
that at the end of Coder 2, where you meet Kreia at the end of all things. As Darth Treya. As Darth Treya, but also not Darth. It's, it's, <laughs> she kind of is like, ah, well, I tried. And what are you going to do next? And one of your options is like, yeah, I'm probably going to go after Raven. And she's like, oh, okay. I, what the balls on this game? I'm sorry to use that word, <laughs> but to, to, to not do a big fight at the end. And it's just like a conversation. <laughs> you just have like. I mean, I still think it's beautiful kind of moments. bad. <laughs> uh, oh, mechanically. Yeah, but I do. I, I like it as this counter to A, once again, the monomyth, and B, the operatic confrontation between Malak and Revan in the first game. Yeah. And it's. <laughs> and there's this beautiful moment that I think is very tragic because if you're a light sided person, you can be like. You can do this customary, hey, you. Uh, you want to come back to the light side or something? <laughs> you, do you, like, I see how far you've fallen. And we can, uh, even though you're, you're an ass, we can still, <laughs> you know, you can uh, you can be saved, essentially. Uh, trying to make it not sound Christian, no offense. <laughs> Fair. Um, it's, it's just, you know, that specific type of Christian, not, not you, don't worry. Um, it's just to not make it sound like a reborn Christian, if you will. It's... <laughs> It's this like well you you can you don't have to be this the exile tells Kreia, and she says oh what naive, well, thank you though and there's this very brief window of utter sincerity, uh, between the two and then she kind of just tosses herself I believe in the abyss no, well, like Palpatine no I think she just died, <laughs> oh she just drops dead, <laughs> well metaphorical abyss i guess shrug <laughs> um so yeah um that's where it ends abruptly and then sh and then the uh the exile becomes canon again and gets sucked into the raven vortex yeah. and dies and she she as a force ghost hovers near raven because raven loses and uh because the mmo needs to start baby um <laughs> and raven gets turned into this uh, Duracell force battery for the Empire, and it ends with like Bastila looking at the sky like, well, the ev the evil Empire didn't invade us, so Revan must have done something right. And that's 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 the end. And then uh, the Exile as a force ghost hovers next to Revan's force imprisonment, and it's just baffling to me. It's just this, <laughs> it's like well, that's what you get. Uh, according to the monomyth, if you deny your great purpose, you become the diminished self, as, as Campbell calls it, which is this weird impenetrable language that I don't want to spend a lot of time on, mm -hmm. based on what I said earlier, <laughs> uh, with the quote that I meant, uh, that I uh, like uh, said, like not word for word for accurate, but close enough. Yeah. And it's just I don't want to spend, I don't want to give him any credence, uh, Joseph Campbell, that is. But I was so disappointed in reading that. Um, it does give Revan another ego boost. Yeah, once again, I, that was really, <laughs> really sad. Um, because once again, this message is so heretical that nothing preceding or succeeding this game interacts with it. Um, there's nothing to be reconciled with <laughs> because it is so heretical that it, it, it cannot do anything. It just sits there and... Disney then decanonized it with its with with its acquisition of Star Wars, 
and it will never be a thing. This exploration of the Force will never be a thing ever again, which is what I so deeply love about this game. Because it's truly one of a kind. It is. It a lot really of people is. link it to Deep Space Nine <laughs> of Star Trek. Yeah. Because it start, in Deep Space Nine, there's this critique on the uh, Federation. Uh, Starfleet, I mean. Yeah. And um, it's kind of similar. It's a bit... This one is a bit more abstract and philosophical, I think. But, yeah. That's 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 Knights of the Old Republic 2. Yeah. And um, that, I think that's a wonderful place to sort of kind of start to wrap up. Yeah, that I was about to say. Um, <laughs> I will probably, after this recording, think, oh, fuck, I want to say that. And, oh, well, that's naturally. Just but I think we covered most points. <laughs> I will then bring it up in, t- in its entirety when... Knights of the Old Republic 1 remaster Whoa. comes out. Um, which is a thing that's happening. Yeah. I will briefly mention, because you, you, you put it on your notes, um, about Baldur um, as uh, one of the your first companions. And he's also someone from your past, as someone who was like a, an engineer, lieutenant, something. And it's creepy. Uh, I'm going to read uh, Leon's notes here, uh, because... <laughs> He's freed from the limitations of a generally human identity in the way the monomyth imagines a mythic figure. He also becomes an alienating, off-putting, living totem of an ideology that is discomforting and unsettling in the way a complete submission of the self into a destined role, an an avatar of a belief system, naturally is. He's there to provide a counterpoint by dint of negative example of what happens when you wear the mask so long, so intently, that it becomes your own face. Uh, a theme repeated again with Darth Nihilus in a more direct, literal fashion. Because um, yes. Baudur, he does not let go of the past. Uh, and in a pretty weird, kind of scary way, um, that, you know, you were a general of Revan, he only refers to you as general. And he, he idolizes you. He worships you. He literally yeah. serves you more than any other character. Um, because at the very least, Atris, in her worship of you, um, kind of opposes you, goes in weird directions, but she carries some agency, whereas uh, Baldur annihilates himself in his servitor to you. And that's kind of like what the monomyth, um, in, its, in the way that it enforces itself, can do to others in you know, enforcing its power and its will. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not going to get into that because then the podcast will be extended by another half hour. Yes. So I'm, I, 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 Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not ignoring you. I just want to let you know uh, oh, I yeah. can't as, as much as I want to because I would love to talk about every single companion character, but oh, yeah. we can't. Um, but we do have as a, as a way to wrap things up. And if need be, we will meet again. Uh, dear audience and this narrative yes. when the remaster comes out <laughs> and I will just not talk about the remaster and secretly <laughs> talk about Code War 2 again um, <laughs> I, let me try and find it okay so because you know because this was this very serious a uh, bit more headier uh, episode I thought it would be fun to um, because once again I refer to me reading all those books and I know <laughs> a lot about the the once upon a time canon so <laughs> a lot of this information is no longer canon, but it used to be once uh, once upon a time it used to be canon in the old uh, legends, as it's called now, uh, <laughs> yeah. storyline. So this is a lot of this, not all of it, but a lot of this 
is before Disney's acquisition. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. It's just, just phrased from the perspective of, hey, once upon a time, this was the case. Yeah. Or there's a Star Wars product that you can still see <laughs> that, has, uh, that has this in it. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, do you want to say your name for it? Yeah. Want? So, um, a, a little bit of crediting to be done because we half poached this idea from someone else. Um, which is uh, Yogg's guests Tom and Ben because they really like Warhammer and they created a little game called Lorehammer or Yorhammer where one of them says uh, a piece of Warhammer lore which is true and then a piece of Warmer, Warhammer which they invented both equally sound like truths pretty much all the time and uh, it is the mission of the other one to figure out which is true which was invented because um, Warhammer lore is 99% ridiculous. Um, given that, Leon was inspired by me telling him about all that, and uh, we created a little segment called Star Wars or Farce Wars, where Leon will be doing the same with obscure, once canon, Star Wars lore, and it will be my job to try and figure out what was Star Wars lore and what he invented. Yes, uh, five questions, true or false <laughs> oh, statements, God. and one is a multiple choice. Nice. There's a novel, there's a romance novel within the extended universe. And um, within regards to a character wanting to seduce Leia Organa, there is a line that says, she will be attracted to his maleness. Or, the iconic character Boba Fett escaped the Sarlacc pit, fell back in again, but then also escaped again. <laughs> oh, so God. he didn't feel into the... We see him fall in the Sarlacc pit at the end of episode six, or beginning of episode six, yeah. and then that happens. He get, crawls out of it, and then another separate occasion, he falls back in again and crawls back out again. Which uh... <laughs> I okay, um, I'm gonna say that uh, Boba Fett leaving and falling back in again at a different occasion is Star Wars, and the Leorgana maleness is. Farce Wars. Correct. Nice. Um, just for fun, uh, she will be attracted to his maleness is a line from Dune Messiah. Oh, God. So, you know. I mean, just, uh, just so everyone knows, I didn't come up with it myself. I mean, you That's, could have come up yeah. with it given, you know, satire and how, you know, that, that, that idea of like, oh, how men write uh, women or how they write novels or romance novels. So it's like, I am. I'm shocked that that was actually written by someone else um, in an actual book. Um, and that was published. Um, yeah. <laughs> question two. Uh, Leia, again, Leia Organa, kills the only hot Jedi that fell to the dark side and set himself up as a ruler of a planet. Or Darth Vader kills a centaur politician that wanted freedom for his planet from the Galactic Empire. Oh my god, I believe them both. Um, I desperately want the second one to, well, I, I, I don't really want to, but I, I want the second one to be true, but I want to believe that you came up with that, because that, that sounds very you, um, and I'm going to say that Leia Organa commits a weird kind of crime, um, in, and that is Star Wars, and the Darth Vader and the Santor politician is Farce Wars. Okay, correct again. Oh, wow. Um... <laughs> The only hot Jedi kill, falls to the dark side, which is a bit weird, but okay. That's um, weird. There are centaurs, by the way. There are centaur species huh. that Han Solo interacts with. Huh. I'm, I'm gonna... There are also werewolves, by the way. Um, 
W Y R W U L V E S. Oh, so they go with wolves anyway. and then where yeah, go weirdly. Well, okay. Weird wolves. Weird wolves. <laughs> it's uh, okay. That was uh, question three. The son of Palpatine in the extended canon that does that's no longer canon has a third eye and his name is Oculus. <laughs> or Luke is wrecked with guilt because he had premarital sex with Mara Jade. <laughs> I oh the, I love this game. Um I am going to say that the Luke one is Star Wars and that you made up Oculus because terrible Sith names. But I genuinely again I don't I have no clue. They can both be true. Um yeah. They I, are both false. They're both false. But Palpatine has a son with three eyes and his name is Triclops. Oh god. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just as bad. I mean I, I would have preferred Oculus actually. <laughs> right? Oh god. Oh <laughs> uh, but uh good uh, good 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 guess. Cause you were close. I was. So, um, you at least got half. But sorry to trick you. But no, no, it's, it's a um, good trick. You already were two for two, so felt uh, insecure. No. <laughs> so, f- four. Ah, oh, oh, my favorite. This is my. Um, I don't want to play favorite, but this is my favorite one. There's a Jedi detective, and he goes to find his niece on a Sith planet, which is overran by a zombie plant fungus infection okay. that takes hold of people and makes them zombies and he quotes verbatim Liam Neeson's speech in Taken <laughs> so I have a special set of skills and I will find you know that speech yes you know I mean? the, yeah he quotes verbatim <laughs> Liam Neeson's character from Taken or after Rebel Victory uh, after episode 6 there are fragments of the Empire and the one that forges them back together is clearly based on Stalin I'm not going to say his name but he even quotes, "Power flows from the long end of a blaster rifle." Oh no! I I, I think unfortunately <laughs> I knew the second one was apparently true, um, or that was Star Wars. Although I'd love for the first one to be Star Wars. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say the Stalin one <laughs> is Star Wars, oh, and the I'm other sorry. one is Fast Wars. It's the other way around. Oh, you tricked me so thoroughly! Well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I use Stalinism, my secret weapon. <laughs> well done. I love the fact that the, 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 the Taken speech is was official Star Wars canon. Once upon a time. Once upon a and, time. Uh, In our hearts, it remains uh, so. You might be confused with Steel Stalin from the West Coast Adventures of Marvel, <laughs> which Stalin is a character that turns into steel. Oh, God. And the West Coast Adventures have to beat him. Oh, God. Which is like this B tier team of Avengers oh, in Marvel God. comics, so that's uh. what I that's where I got the inspiration from. Okay, um, question five. There is a evil clone of Luke called Luke. It's L U U K E that tries to kill Luke, and Luke defeats Luke at the end, <laughs> or as a uh, attempt to counter. The Millennium Falcon. There is a uh, a ship which has like an iconic crew and like uh, deep fiction or in deep uh, and like well it has a story centered around the ship and the ship is called the Moldy Crow 
as a joke to the Millennium Falcon. Wow, I, 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 I think the second one sounds more like you, as like something to create a counterpoint about, about the Millennium Falcon, because we've talked about Millennium Falcon and, well, the, this ship, the Kotor ship, the Ebon Hawk, which looks suspiciously like the Millennium Falcon. Um, but I love Luke and Luke. Um, so I want Luke to be Star Wars and the other to be Force Wars. They're both true. They're both true. Oh my God. They're both Star Wars. They're both. St- <laughs> oh, Luke. Uh, okay. So to top it off with Coder 2, the war that you like participate in mm-hmm. or the conflict, whatever, um, is uh, I'm going to give you four options. Okay. And what the name of this war is, what it was once upon a time called mm-hmm. in the canon. The War of the Fragmentation of the Sith, the War of the Exile, the Great Jedi Purge, the Dark Wars. <laughs> I'm going to say the Great the great Jedi Purge. It's the Dark Wars. Of course it is. The Star Wars Dark Wars. Of course it is. Uh, oh, I love this game. All right. So, um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, we don't know yet what we're going to do for the next episode, but enjoy these two episodes. Yeah. So uh, something. And thank you so much for making it all the way to the end, if you did. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Us. Like, this th- this was a, a blast to do these two episodes, and they were quite something. Yes. Um, and they were a lot of fun to do. So, thank you for hanging around and sticking up to the end. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Yes. See you guys soon. See you soon. Thanks so much.